Now, some people like ads, some people don't, and that's okay. But we like to keep everyone happy. So if you're one of the people who doesn't like to listen to ads, choose the Dave McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts, and you can listen to this podcast just the way you like it. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. Doing there, it is podcast time. Now, if you could see what I can see in front of me now, you would laugh your whole off, to use the great Irish expression. John is now necking a pint mm. bottle of Gaviscon. It's awful stuff. Jesus. It, it is awful stuff. A pint bottle oh. of Gaviscon. Look, you can, you've heard of the pint bottle of stout, uh, the pint bottle of Bulmers. The bag is out of order, Mac. The bag <laughs> is out of order. Yeah. Were you drinking last night? I had a couple of pints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a couple of pints and we won the old pub quiz, me and my daughters. I know, this is fantastic. <laughs> aided, uh, aided by looks of pints. And then the dad turns up this morning yeah. with the bad neck. The Ned has gone. <laughs> the Ned is out of order. Well, Big you know, time. interesting. I was talking to a fellow from Donegal last week. We were talking about Gaviscon. We were changing these Gav- Look, look, look at the. It's, is it rancid? Is it? It's really awful, and it's actually the consistency of it as well. I normally take it in in a in a tablet or the old Rennie in a tablet, but I haven't had this. This is a, that's a pint bottle of Gaviscon. Pint bottle. I know, I know, I know. Well, I was talking to a fellow from Donegal who was saying that in a, there's in a bar in Donegal where he drinks. I can't remember where it was up in Bunkrana, like miles up. You know, the the yeah. Inish Open Peninsula. In the boozer, there's like little shots of vodka, little shots of thing, yeah. and there's little shots of Gaviscon <laughs> for the outlets. If you need, you just 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 to line the stomach as you, you set off on a night of adventure. Well, I yeah, no, no, no. I have worshipped at the altar of Gaviscon <laughs> many's the night, many's the night. Anyway, good to have you all here on the podcast. We're going to revisit briefly, maybe not briefly, depends how we feel. You'll remember last Tuesday we were talking about the United States, the fact that the United States economy didn't want to go into recession. Like the Fed was trying to push into recession. The economy's like, no, no, we're yeah, still yeah, here. Yeah. And that Fought was, it off bravely. Yeah, exactly. And that was the sort of background noise. That's what's dominating markets. And then as these things happen, last week, late last week, evidence emerged that the inflation rate in the United States is falling quicker than anybody expected. Now that means, and this is very, very pertinent to what we were talking about last week, that, John, the Fed may well have, and when give them credit, right, mm. engineered almost the impossible, which is the soft landing, right? Yeah. Where the rate of inflation falls, but the rate of employment 
rises. So, but hang on. So, does does this mean that Jay Powell is a genius, or is he lucky, or what exactly? As Napoleon happened? says, "Give me a lucky general. Give me a lucky general." Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, but yeah. The, the, no, it throws up a massive dilemma for macroeconomics. Mm. Because mainstream macroeconomics is based on the notion of the Phillips curve. Now, Phillips was a New Zealander who was actually an engineer Mm. working in England in the early 1950s. Right. And he observed, it wasn't a theory, it was just an observation, that as economies rise and the rate of unemployment falls, the rate of inflation tends to take off. Why? Because wages increase, right? And then wages knock on everything else. So it's been kind of a rule of thumb for many, many years in economics that the Phillips curves hold, right? Which is that the rate of inflation and the rate of growth tend to move in the same direction. Yeah. And therefore, if you want to bring down the rate of inflation, you have to bring down the growth rate. Yeah. And if you bring down the growth rate, you have to accept that the logical consequence of that will be an increase in the rate of unemployment. Yes. So there's a trade-off between That was the bit that I always found kind of horrifying, actually. Well, was, was that a central bank would try to engineer unemployment? Well, precisely. Now, so this is where economics park your morality at the door. Right. All ye who pass through here, park your morality at the door. All you economists are all bleeding oh, Right. So, so that, is, that is fine so long as this relationship maintains. Mm. And there's a thing in economics, if you want to get into the deep theory of it, between Keynesianism, which was very, very much part of that, there is a direct relationship between unemployment and inflation, and the job of the government should be to try and boost unemployment and put up with a little bit of inflation, right? And then the monetarists who came in under Milton Friedman, John, who said, no, there is no relationship, they should only look at money. And then there's a thing called the neoclassical synthesis, John, which is a synthesis, which is basically mainstream economics right. between lots of good bits of Keynesianism, lots of good bits of monetarism. You fuse them together, you get the best of both, all as well. Yeah. But still, the underlying idea was that if you bring down the rate of inflation, the cost to society will be an increase in the rate of unemployment. Right. Not now. So... What people are worrying, or not worrying, people are kind of startled by the fact that maybe this present incarnation of the global economy or the American economy has seen the Fed get inflation under control. Now, I'll just give you a figure. The US inflation is at 3%. Mm. British inflation, for example, and we're going to talk about Britain on Thursday, right, as part of our European tour, yes. <laughs> is 8.7%, right? right. So okay. the Americans are doing, you know, really yeah. very, very well. But more importantly... Everybody in America who wants a job has a job. Mm. Like, you know, if you if you don't have a job in America now, you don't want to work. Right? Yes, you yeah, can okay. get a job, whatever you want to do, right? So this is the sort of sweet spot. This is the so-called... Do you remember the thing that Irish economists used to say, don't be worried, we'll get a soft landing. Yes, yeah, yeah. There is a threat that the Americans will have engineered a soft landing. But, but this is an anomaly, though. It is it? an anomaly. And then what it does... I know you mightn't get excited or as excited as I do about these things, right? It then throws down the gauntlet to think, who was right over the last, let's say, four years, right? Yeah. Was it? So let there's five schools of thought here, John. Okay. MMT. Do you remember those guys? I do, yeah. We'll we'll have a look. Was it them? Stephanie Kelton. Stephanie Kelton, The Deficit Myth. Very, very interesting book, right? I actually think I'll have her back to Kilconomics. I've asked her back. By the way, Kilconomics, uh, book your hotels for the first weekend of November. Uh, we are going on the Kilconomics Trail again and uh, hotels tend to book out. First weekend of November, that's the 2nd to the 5th in 
the marble city, Kilkenny itself, right? right. So, and we're back in the room. And we're back in the room, right? So <laughs> MMT, were they right? Yeah. The Bitcoiners, were they right? They're always right. Well, they always think they're right. The greed inflationistas, were they right? They were the people who believed Isabella Weber, we had her on the show. Mm. German economists believed that basically inflation was to do with monopoly power on big corporations. She observed the fact that all through this recent inflationary period, monopoly rents and profits in large companies kept going up and up and up. Right. So her idea was that large companies were taking advantage of the increase in inflation by putting a little bit more inflation on there and making yes. out like bandits, okay? Yeah, yeah. Was she also the one that was talking about, you know, the natural tendency in capitalism is towards monopoly anyway? Well, that's, the, I mean, that that is a thing. I mean, if you look at that, so that's a whole, whole antitrust movement, you know, antitrust law, right? Mm. All antitrust movement is because of that, that the natural tendency in capitalism is not competition, but monopoly. Yeah. So all successful companies seek to be monopolists yeah. and then garner more and more profits. Yeah. And, that's and hence we, you have Google and Amazon and all those and, boyos. And that's why we're at the moment, there's a big, big, huge academic interest in antitrust economics, which is to break up these large companies. Yeah. So let's think, you've got the MMTers, yeah. you've got the Bitcoiners, you've got the greed inflationistas. Mm. Then you have my outfit, the team transitory. People who thought it was all going to be slightly transitory and we have to fess up it wasn't that transitory. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got mainstream economics. Like, did mainstream economics do a good job? Like, it more or less kind of said, well, if the economy increases beyond what's called the output gap, which I'll tell you in a minute, yeah. you will get inflation and the way you bring that down is through higher interest rates. Were so that's right? Jay Powell was the that's poster Jay boy Powell. there. Well, Larry Summers was the poster boy. So Larry Summers is the rather divisive character who used to be the head of the treasury was the chairman or the chief bottle washer of Harvard. But he's, but Powell is part of that tribe. Right, okay, okay. And then the final tribe would be the sort of apocalyptic polycrisis tribe who believe that the world is kind of going through this series of interrelated crises that each reinforce each other at yeah. every stage and basically the world is going to hell in a handbasket, right? Right. Okay. Army getting out of here. Army of getting fellas. out of here, exactly. With your bottle of Gaveston, right? <laughs> I can just see John. Noah's Ark. It wouldn't be John and his missus. It would be John and the bottle of that Gaveston. <laughs> going and saying, don't worry, Noah. It's all good. <laughs> anyway, so first things first, right? Who's been right? So you MMT. So MMT became into significant international notoriety during the pandemic. Because they said, hold on a second, we have a pandemic. And during the pandemic, the rate of interest is zero. The state can print whatever it wants and should print. And simply there's going to be no inflation. Right? Mm. There'll be no inflationary consequence. I'm yep, very yep, muted, yep. right? That was very fashionable in the pandemic. I actually think it was right in the pandemic. During a pandemic, it's right to have extraordinary monetary policy at zero. Yeah. But their idea was don't worry about anything because... The way money works is the opposite to the way traditional economics thinks it works. So you can print money that basically the government can take all these debt on its balance sheet because the government and the central bank are two arms of the same institution. The central bank just simply finances the government and there's no interest rate consequence. Mm. Now, what we've seen in reality is once inflation ticked up, that MMT theory became open to scrutiny. And of course, once interest rates went from zero to five, you can say there was a direct relationship not only between American interest rates, but, five and a quarter. Yeah. My, okay, my understanding of MMT, though, as well, was that they used that the tax system 
more than the interest rate system. Yeah, so so their idea was if inflation takes off, raise taxes, that will reduce dramatically the rate of inflation and Bob's your uncle. There's no real role for monetary policy. Yeah, so, so interest rates remains the same, so there are other, irregardless. So irregardless, I love that Dublin expression. Not only regardless, but irregardless, right? It's great. It's, it's, it's only better, best by the great Dublin expression. Your man was bolivious to it, <laughs> which I love. Bolivious. <laughs> I absolutely love that. I've actually heard it quite recently. Oh, no, he was absolutely bolivious. <laughs> Go on. So those guys, because inflation took off, MMT has been re-examined, re-interrogated, and it'll be interesting to see what they now say. Mm. But very, very clear, once inflation takes off, this idea that inflation really isn't a problem and this idea that monetary policy isn't a problem, that's the key. Monetary policy is a problem. Because most would say, well, hold on a second, in the pandemic we printed loads of money, we had to print all that money, but there were inflationary consequences and they came and they were manifest afterwards. So not sure about that. Didn't do very well. Hasn't had a great post-pandemic inflationary thing. Right. Is it dead now the then? Bit, no, I'd say it'll come back. Okay. Say, the Bitcoiners, on the other hand, so the Bitcoiners' fundamental idea is that the fiat currency regime, which is fiduciary-issued currency, mm. paper money in effect, right, is doomed to failure because it's inflationary in its very in its very core. Right? Yeah. You and print, you can't keep printing. And you printing, can't keep printing, printing yeah. right? Yeah. So in their world, we would now be in hyperinflation. Yeah we're actually got inflation at 3%. So it's very clear that the Bitcoin world hasn't been proved right this time. Now, what you'll find with the MMTers and the Bitcoiners, it's always this time. Yeah. You know, next time, you just don't fully appreciate it, you don't fully yeah. understand it. Next time, we'll be fine. Well, in fairness, though, in fairness, we don't really understand why it is the way it is. It's an anomaly. So so there's st- there yeah. still is a, so an have, argument. We have, in, these, we, have, we have theories. So there's yeah. still an argument, but, but the basic... I would say, and I in parenthesis, the Bitcoiners, right? Yeah, this is yeah. this is the whole crypto world, but particularly the Bitcoiners, is the idea that the monetary system, as presently constellated globally, has an inflationary, inherent hyperinflationary weakness. And the more we print, the more we're going to get hyperinflation. And once we get hyperinflation in fiat money, the only thing that'll be worth anything are real assets, and one of which is Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. So that's their their yeah. their stick. Now, obviously, when inflation is down at 3%, it's hard to sustain that argument. So, okay, fair enough. Then you have the team transitory argument, which was what I kind of thought was going to happen, which is that the inflation we saw in 2022 and 2021 after the pandemic was simply a function of supply chains being clogged up. You remember you remember that big the big ship got caught in the Suez Canal? Yes, the stopped, Evergrande. Yeah. All that stuff, yeah. right? Okay, God bless your memory. That Gaviscon's doing you. <laughs> Are you sure that was Gaviscon? Yeah, exactly. You'd be buzzing now in a second, man. Anyway, and so I thought that inflation would be transitory in the sense it would spike upwards, and as the world came back to normal after the pandemic, supply chains kicked in it would go back down to normal. That wasn't the case. Mm. So my team, not 100% either, right? Now, some of my crowd are saying, ah, now look, two years later, we tell you inflation is falling. There hasn't been an increase in unemployment. We were right. It was all transitory. But I think you have to be humble in this regard. And by the way, speaking of humility, much more so speaking of accuracy, I'd like to give a little shout out to one of our Patreons, Mr. Tutti from New York, who called me up rightly last week, I said the Americans tended to have variable mortgages on yes, their Yes, I remember you said that. 
And he said, that is not the case, David. And I was wrong. So hands up, I was wrong on that. What I had done, I had actually made a very simple mistake, which was I actually thought, you know, all Anglo-Saxons, because us and the Brits mm. tend to have these variable mortgages. But in fact, the Americans don't. So thank you very much, Mr. Tutty over in New York. For, he was tutting away. He was tutting away. He was... T- <laughs> <laughs> appropriately named Mr. Tutty, tutting away, okay, and and rightly so. So thank yeah, you very yeah. much for that, correcting that. So we say, okay, my crowd, mm, you know, seven out of ten maybe. Mm. MMTers, five out of ten. Right. Bitcoiners, five out of ten. What comes next is the, what would be called the polycrisisers, the arm, what did you call, let's get out of here, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> the arm are getting get out, out of here. So the Armageddonists were like, there is, there are poly crises. There is a geopolitical crisis. There is an inflationary crisis. There is a crisis of populism. There is a crisis of government credibility. There is a demographic crisis. There is a climate change crisis. And they're all coming together and yeah. they're all reinforcing each other. And frankly, my anxiety shoots up when I hear them speak. The, the blood pressure tablets are going through the roof. John's 250 <laughs> over 120s blood pressure has gone off the scale, right? And their idea is, you know, that basically the world is inextricably going into a vortex and policymakers cannot figure stuff yeah, out. Yeah, now, yeah, it's yeah. a really good thesis and it sounds interesting. It reads very well. But again, what it might be saying now is that, hold on a second, maybe when it comes to macroeconomic policy in America, again, the idea of a polycrisis doesn't seem to be the case. There are crises, but policymakers are actually trying their best and doing not so badly mm. at trying to figure it out. Okay. And then, of course, the final is the mainstream economics, right? Which is, they kind of said, hold on a second, there is an output gap. An output gap is when the gap between actual employment and our actual output and potential output narrows dramatically right? And when it narrows dramatically, it means there's only a little bit of excess capacity in the economy. Once that excess capacity gets to a certain level, the rate of inflation will go up because prices will just keep going up. Can I ask you a question then? What does that say about the economy and where it was headed before the pandemic and after the pandemic? You know, it was not just a blip and now it's all, we're back to where we were or? No, I think the pandemic has had Okay, so answer the question, right? The view would have been that had the economy not been hit by the pandemic, by around 2020, late 2020, we would have had a global recession Mm. because we would have had many years of expansion. We would have had many years of very, very loose monetary policy. We'd have many, many years, the UK apart, kind of quite open fiscal policy. We had... problems with wages, we had problems with this, that and the other. So the view was that the the pandemic basically stopped the world as it did. Mm. Governments had to say, well, if we stop the world, we have to pay people, so we've got to borrow. And if we've got to borrow, we've got to reduce the rate of interest, make it possible for us to borrow. And that the pandemic did nothing more than just simply stop everything, push things out 24 months. I don't think so. I think the pandemic has had a greater impact on the economy because at the end of the day, the economy is only the way we live. Like it's really the study of, of, of us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So has the pandemic... As we say at the beginning of yeah, every show. Yeah, it's a study of humans, right? So has the pandemic changed the way we live? Yes, I think it has. And I think it has changed the way we live, the people we trade with, the countries we trade with, globalization. I think all these things have had a huge impact. And you might even say that 
if it wasn't for the pandemic, Putin would have wouldn't have sat on his own that big. See, remember that big long table? <laughs> yes. I was afraid yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great shot. Yeah. Reading, reading, reading second rate history about Ukraine. If he hadn't been on his own, isolated, and he'd been busy like a normal president, yeah, he wouldn't have had time to ruminate on this bizarre notion that he had when he wrote that big dissertation three summers ago on the relationship between Russia and Ukraine in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. And he may not necessarily have got that Russia blood to the head, which was, I mean, so all these things, all, all these yeah. things happened. But the point is now is who has been right? And the mainstream economics guys said we were right, but in a way they were predicting a mass increase in unemployment in order for us to get to this position where inflation is at 3%. What they were saying is that the rate of unemployment would have had to go up by a number of percentage points in the United States to bear down in the economy, to bring down aggregate demand. That hasn't happened. Mm. So we are now in this really weird sweet spot, John, which is always terrifying in economics, where the rate of inflation is falling, but the rate of output is rising. So that means there must be some deep productivity gains going on within the system, mm. right? And those deep productivity gains are not necessarily being picked up by the data at the micro level, but they're manifesting themselves as the macro level. And this is, so, I know you, I know this is a, these are the things I've, that keep me awake at night, John. Yeah, well, so, so what does that mean and where, where is this going to head? So, if, okay, Jay Powell, let's pat him on the back, applaud him, and he's done a great job. And he's brought inflation down. And now yeah. the, the economy is humming away. Over there in America. Over yeah. there in America. And, and yeah. it will, you know, it yeah. will we'll get some benefit out of that globally. But what does he do now? Like, what's his next? He doesn't sit back and stick his feet up and, you know, smoke a big cigar, does he? Well, he might do all of those things. Okay. But he might, okay. he may well do all of those things. Now, what his, and I'll take you back in time, right? If the Yanks have managed to engineer a soft landing. The only historical points of reference they have are the late 1950s and early 1960s, mm. before Keynesianism was undermined by inflation and before monetarism was undermined by inequality. So we could be going back to this extraordinary period, grace period in America. Now, the only way you'll do that, interestingly, is if the supply side of the American economy expands. And the major, major impediment to the supply side of the American economy expanding is the labor force, right? The amount yeah. of people available for work. Yeah. And the only way in which the labor force can expand consequentially over time is either if the Americans continue to have or start to have lots and lots of babies. Yeah. Or if migrants come in. Right. Right. To fill these jobs. Right. right? So that's on the labor force. On the total factor productivity side, you have to look at increases in technology, technological change, and how that has helped the Americans. I was going to ask you about that yeah. as well. And so what, what we're seeing now is, now it's right to be sceptical, because this is only one yeah. month of data. Yeah, sure, sure, right? sure. But it's it's causing a big tiz in the economics community. Right. Just keeping you informed of the, of the lads, you know. <laughs> the lads are in the back, the economics community. Imagine you're in a pub, right? So your WhatsApp groups are oh, buzzing away. Buzzing away. Fellas are getting all upset about all sorts of things. Imagine you're in a pub, right? And over in the corner are the kind of really nerdy fellas. Yeah. The economists. Yeah. And they're usually fellas. Hopefully there'll be more women. But the, the nerdy corner is buzzing away. It's yeah. all confused completely. It's tearing up papers. It's looking at econometric equations. Yeah. And all sorts of algorithms. 
and it's a bit confused, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, back at the bar in the real life, people are just having yeah. a drink. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. But more the, crisps, please. Yeah, more crisps. <laughs> king or Tato, you like, right? So these really consequential decisions, whether it's King or Tato, are affecting most of us, right? Yeah. These are what dwell yeah. in our minds. And as long as they're not going up in price, we're all right. As long as they're not going up in price. But over in the nerd corner, the yeah. buzzy corner, the economists are buzzing. It is it's a WhatsApp group. I have a WhatsApp group. And it's it's <laughs> it's, it's perplexed. It's, it's very perplexed. These are the things we bring you in this podcast. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The dark, weird, Dante-esque world. It's probably the if there was nine, eleven circles of hell, ten circles of hell, because we're probably the third circle of hell are the economists, right? Right, yeah. In yeah. self-flagellating as we walk around <laughs> anti-clockwise, right? And we're perplexed about the soft landing, John. Aren't you glad? Absolutely. You never studied this. I'm not going to the pub tonight. <laughs> But actually, I think I need a break. I need a head break. So let's take a break and let's talk about productivity and actually what the likes of AI is going to do in productivity after this. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. So what you're saying, Mac, is that productivity is booming in the United States, but it's not being measured or it's or it's difficult to measure or, or what's the story? Well, I'm not saying it's not being measured, John. What I'm saying is that if the United States is experiencing high growth in employment, high growth in the economy, yeah, at a time when inflation is falling, what it means is that the underlying productivity of the country is rising over and above what people think. And then productivity is dependent on two major factors, right? One is the size of the labor force and the growth, which we talked Mm. about immigration, our babies, right? Number one. Or the productivity of the labor force, which is the education of the labor force, and the output of the labor force. So for every person, how much output are they generating? Yeah. And then the other thing is the productivity of capital. So the capital you are deploying, how much output you're getting from that capital. And that's the productivity of technology. Yeah. Right? But the thing that kind of scares me a little bit is what AI is going to do 
to this productivity. Sure, productivity is going to shoot up even more, but that might have an impact on employment, though. Yeah, I mean, so there's going to be swings and roundabouts. I, I've always been very skeptical of the idea of what I would call technological replacement, right? In the aggregate. So, mm. what, what I mean by that is that, so there was like, I mean, the Luddites, you remember the Luddites in England? They were mm-hmm. a movement, right? It's all of them, isn't it? Right? Exactly. <laughs> They're still Luddites, right? And it was against the spinning Jenny, right? Yes, yeah, okay? yeah. Okay, yeah. so it was a movement by weavers against the introduction of a mechanical weaver. Mm. And you think logically what they were saying was, hold on a second, if this thing comes in, this spinning jenny, right, we will all lose our jobs. So what they did is they smashed up all the machines mm. in order to protect their jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that term then, a Luddite, has always come to apply to those people who believe that technology will replace labour. And what we've seen over the last 50 years in almost every society is that we've seen enormous increases in technological application and really profound increases in employment. Yeah, yeah, So what happens is that in actual fact, where clearly technology displaces people in one area, but what it tends typically to do is it brings down costs. Technology always does, right? Mm. That increases profits. Those profits increase wages. The wages in those areas stay the, the same or increase. And the people who lose their jobs, and there will always be people who lose their jobs, mm-hmm. they get jobs in different sectors, right? So that has been happening all the time. And I think the AI revolution, I always go back to the printing press mm. as being the template for what happens. And yes, the printing press got rid of, I have a very soft spot for the monastic scribe, John. <laughs> As a general rule, okay? So you think the monastic scribe, he's sitting in the monastery and he's got his quill and he knows Latin and he can write really, really, he's a really good artist. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's sitting there, but he's very slow, right? Yeah. And then he gets superseded by the printing press. Now, at the time, I'm sure there was many people, particularly the monastic scribes, actually set the agenda they were kind of editorialized. And if there was an internet of the day, yeah. the uh, the editorial writers were the monastic scribes. Now, they would have talked to the monastery and said, man, this is really shit. This yeah. printing press yeah, thing, yeah, you know, yeah. this is going to do us out of a crust. And if we're done out of a crust, we can't sell Bibles anymore. If we can't sell Bibles, we can't sell indulgences. And we're going to lose out. And then you see what actually happened after the printing press was this explosion in innovation, in employment, in wealth creation, in the transfer of knowledge, all that good stuff. You see, I get, I get all that, and that's fine. I'm not going to get into a an AI discussion here, but I do think you got to remember that the people that are actually throwing up red flags are the actual people who are building it. Like the spinning jennies, the makers of the spinning jennies. Or, or Gutenberg wasn't worried about yeah, the, the Gutenberg. Yeah, you and know. I, so, so I think it is slightly different, but it I does remain to be seen. It, it does remain to be seen. I mean, for me, the only AI I really use is spell check. Which I think is very good. <laughs> you need it. I do <laughs> need it. I do need it. I can't spell, right? I can't, and I write all the time, but I can't yeah. spell. So look, I, I, I'm not so sure. Maybe I'm being overtly sanguine, but I do think that AI has the potential to educate and inform many hundreds of millions of people who are now not educated or informed. Mm. It has the potential to dramatically expand the supply curve, i.e. the labour supply curve of the world, to disseminate wealth, information, ideas, income all over the world. Yeah. You know, so I I, I, I see the ups and downs of it. But to come back to the American economy... That's what I was going to say. Yeah. To go back to the American economy, what we're seeing is some 
unusual behavior where the expression, you know the expression, a better bang for your book, right? Yeah. The Americans are now getting a better bang for their book. That means that the dollar is going further as inflation falls. That means that something in the American economy hasn't been picked up yet, which is that there must be some productivity gains under the hub that people haven't yet noticed. Otherwise, the Phillips curve, to come back to our yeah. original discussion, would hold. And the relationship between inflation and unemployment would be that there is, you can either have high employment, high inflation, or low inflation and low employment. What America is having now is high employment and high inflation. But but now we have a, a soft landing. So well, our, we might have. We right, might have. But so then are we going to see interest rates coming back down? Well, yeah. I mean, this is the whole this is what's bubbling the markets up, yeah. right? And, and but that could skew everything again, and we're just in this crazy cycle. But we are we are in a crazy cycle. We're in it, we're in it like, this is the whole maybe this is why you know when everyone says the day of reckoning will come, yeah, and there's yeah, gonna be an yeah. Armageddon and there's gonna be a reset. Particularly technologists, people who deal with computers. Yeah. I'm very fancy this expression. Actually, I've always noticed this. Technologists who tend to be atheists are into resets and religious people are into the day of reckoning, both of which are the same idea. <laughs> Just there's going to be one off <laughs> moment where everything is reset and all your sins yeah. will either be forgiven or you'll be punished and yada, yada, yada. The world is more messy. It just goes along, you know? And I think that's what we always should appreciate. The economy, like humanity, like evolution, is messy. It's never in a straight line. And the US economy is very messy right now, but it's good messy mm. rather than bad messy. And that's the sort of messy that you don't mind. 